0: Now it's time to move over to Darlene Crane, who is going to give us a wonderful presentation from School District 79 in Cowichan.
1: Mel, thank you. Uh, that was, it's very difficult to follow you, by the way. Just want to give you that information. Um, kind of, uh, that was great information and great, uh, really some some points to make us think and, and challenge our thinking. Um, I will also begin with a bit of an apology because like Mel, I am recovering from COVID. So I do have a glass of water here and may have to mute, et cetera, as we go um wow it was a great way to start our summer break so let's see if i can bring my powerpoint up so uh thank you everybody uh first i hi chica hi let's see it yet uh good day respected friends i am always in awe of educators and the extra time they give and are dedicated i got up this morning and could tell i was completely in vacation mode because I'm like, oh, do I do my hair or do I do my makeup or do I kind of go ponytail? Um, and I thought I absolutely wanted to show respect and honor and appreciation for the educators that are with us today um, because you're showing your dedication and to know that we have this many educators in our province that are really looking to impact student learning in the upcoming year and years. I just greatly, greatly appreciate I keep saying that someday I'm gonna quit being um, in awe or appreciative or impressed by educators, but uh, today's not that day because we continue to look for ways to improve our work. I went ahead and added my QR code um, so that that is available to you. I love this picture of me because it does remind me of what I looked like when I was a little bit younger. Someday I'll have to update that. So Catherine, is there anything else that our participants will need before we launch into this little bit of a conversation?
0: No, I don't think so. Take it away.
1: Okay. I am getting a message that uh, my internet is unstable. I will share with you that I am actually joining you today from the great state of Arizona. I met a lady yesterday and she was quite perplexed by the idea that I am, <clears throat> excuse me, in Canada during the winter, but come to Phoenix for the summer. I guess that's backwards from the rest of the world. But uh, uh, that was a bit of a, a joke from the beginning of our, our vacation this past week. We are here getting some things ready with a home that we have. Um, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time today speaking specifically about the role of educational leaders in this journey to impact student achievement, specifically in the area of reading. And I want to apologize at the beginning if I in any way offend anyone that's with us, I've been down this journey for over 30 years as a teacher, as a parent, as a coordinator at the district level, as a school based administrator, and as a district administrator. And I genuinely recognize that when we are in our roles, we are all giving our very best in the moment. And I like how Mel referred to that bit of, of grieving process that we go through when we recognize that the very best efforts we've been giving our learners when sometimes we recognize they're really not meeting the needs in the way that we hoped. And that's not a criticism to us as educators. I believe that we all go into our classrooms into our roles every day and give our very best. Um, But sometimes we have to take honest uh, reflection of where we're at and what things we may need to adjust or change in order to meet the needs of our learners. Um, Mel, I also just want to re-articulate what you said, that this isn't a reading wars this isn't a pendulum swing. That is an incredibly important part of the message to me. I know that folks that work with me in the Cowichan Valley are probably really quite tired of me reminding them that it's not a pendulum swing. We're not jumping from one approach to another approach, but it's about deepening our understanding as educators of the most impactful, effective ways to approach reading instruction with our learners. And uh, we know that from our our friends across the border, um, that there has been quite the the drama and stretch and challenges where teachers have had resources in their classrooms that were recommended by educational leaders that um, are creating instructional gaps inadvertently for learners. And so I do think that an important part of our role as uh, educational leaders is to thoughtfully reflect on instructional practices, resources, supports, and approaches in our schools and to address that. So I hope to spend just a little bit of time, you know, the next hour or so with you today to talk a bit about the instructional leadership that um, we need from our school leaders and from our district leaders. And uh, I'm sure many of you either are school principals or may school vice principals, or may uh, plan to be someday, or serve in other leadership roles in your districts. And so part of this conversation is just to give some true reflections, um, some true transparent approaches that have worked in the districts I've worked with. I've actually um, had the opportunity to work with multiple districts in both the US and Canada in uh, facilitating their journeys with approaching literacy and numeracy instruction through the multi tiered systems of support. Um, and that has really challenged me to reflect on not only my own approaches as an educator, but also to recognize that every school, every district, every classroom comes with unique challenges. And while we can have some overarching um, strategies and approaches, we can't forget those individual challenges and be able to respond in a problem solving manner to support the educators and learners in those contexts. There are a few times during uh, this conversation that I'm actually going to open the chat. I wasn't brave enough today to go into breakout rooms, uh, but I did want to have opportunities for conversation and feedback and questions to come from those of us joining together. Uh, ideally, we'd all be in a nice, beautiful space having some ice water or lemonade together to have this conversation, but uh, we'll try to keep it as, as conversation-based as we can. Um, before I begin, I thought... I hope that you'll indulge me and allow you to tell me a bit, tell you a bit of a story from when I began my career and how this has impacted me for the last 30 years. My first teaching position was a self-contained classroom of students with learning disabilities. And I, I'm gonna say that any cracking that you hear in my voice is, is from the COVID and not from emotion, but that probably wouldn't be quite true because this actually still impacts me emotionally when I tell this story. Um, But that uh, classroom, like I said, it was six, seven, and eight grade students combined, self-contained students diagnosed or designated with a learning disability. So there were some significant challenges with their reading, and um, this obviously also dates when I began my career. But we were in our our group one day and I had worked hard to establish a very positive rapport relationship with these very reluctant learners. And we had some incredible success in building that good relationship, a safe environment uh, where they could demonstrate their best and be open about their challenges And one day in the midst of one of our activities where we were actually exploring some social emotional learning uh, in in activity, um, one of the students got very frustrated in the moment and he stood up and I'm not condoning his behavior at all, but it does kind of tie back to some of the things from Mel and Linda earlier today. Um, But he stood up. So he was a grade seven student, uh, so probably 13, 14 years old and threw over his chair. And he got into another student's face and pointed at him and he was like, why the F can you read and I can't? Did someone sprinkle magic dust on you when you were a baby and not me? And um, at that point in my career, the truth was I was doing my best to find the magic dust for those learners, but I didn't have it. I didn't have the strategies or the knowledge I needed as an educator. To teach them how to read. I really was relying on the best research I could find at the time, the best recommendations from other educators, and we were um, just bridging out of whole language. And thankfully, over the next um, decade from that experience, I did learn what some of the magic dust was I happen to be in a setting as a teacher where we fully embrace the National Reading Panel Report of 2000 that um, really a lot of the science of reading work has grown from or connected to. So we started a very rich, deep path with experts like um, Anita Archer actually visiting our school and doing training, uh, Susan Hall from 95% Group. Um, So we got uh, some great experience and knowledge, and I had that opportunity to get to have some magic dust, and I am still so thankful. So now part of what I've been able to do for the last several years is take that and connect it to both school and district leadership. And always when I'm having these conversations or I have an opportunity to talk to schools or districts about this journey, I know that in the middle of us doing our very best to find the magic dust or the instructional strategies that truly impact student reading, we're in a complex times that as educators, we, and as administrators, uh, we are continually challenged by the tyranny of the moment that um as a school-based administrator for the past six years, I I often struggled because I felt like I couldn't often get to the instructional part of the work that I wanted to because the work is complex, especially in British Columbia. we also, as educators, if you've been in, in this uh, profession for more than five years, you've probably experienced multiple pendulum swings. And it's almost to a point of uh, that new initiative exhaustion. We have so many things that we're thinking about and wanting to honor and recognize and bring into our practice that it does create those competing interests. And uh, when we refocus, and I will apologize to those of you that uh, may be uh, fellow um This is us uh, fans that uh, when we focus, sometimes we have to release ourselves to focus on what I refer to as the big three. And that's the social, emotional well-being of students and staff uh, and literacy and numeracy knowledge. Like we are in this complex time at a, a place where we need to give ourselves some professional grace. And so if we think about the big three in our work, it can allow us to really uh, focus on the efforts and the work that we're doing in a way that's very meaningful or impactful. I wanted to connect um, some of the leadership influences and approaches that I'll I'll bring up today. And, And many of you have mentioned in some of the questions this morning about how hard this work is when you don't have leadership partnering with Um, the teachers in the classroom, when administrators and teachers are on different uh, pages, when our, our ministry, those folks that are helping develop our curriculum and resources from that level, when we're all disjointed, how much harder work is it for our teachers to really make these shifts in their classrooms. So um, hopefully part of our conversation today can address some of those real challenges that we're having, but also for those folks that may be in in district or school or ministry leadership roles to give some thought of how to link arms and partner with educators as, as we make these shifts that are truly good for learners in the long run. Um We know that research is important. There is a, a science and an art to the work that we do. And if we focus only on the art, which is a beautiful part of teaching, and I wouldn't be here without that part, the relationships, the creativity, um, the communication, all those pieces. Uh, if we only focus there, We really don't uh, build the skills that our students need for their adult lives to be empowered to have their most abundant lives. So when we bring the science piece and we mesh that with the art piece, that's when we have the greatest impact on student learning. Um, I did have the experience of teaching and working in the States early on in my career. And at times, it felt like it was very legalistic. It doesn't take away from the dedications of teachers in the States. It's just an observation I've had from working on both sides of the border. There's more honor of the art and the talent and giftings of teachers, I, I feel, in British Columbia than in other parts of the world. I did want to link this to um, the John Hattie's Visible signs of learning because he has done incredibly deep research around multiple um, good, solid meta-analysis of research from decades of um, of instructional practices and and what things make the most impact to student learning. And I, I think it's so important to highlight this first most powerful impact to student learning, and that is the collective teacher efficacy. When we believe as teachers, as educators, that by working together, we can impact learning. When we feel that empowerment as educators, that has incredible impact on student learning. The self-reported grades, um, teacher estimates of achievement, Cognitive task and response to intervention. Those last three are tied for third. Um, response to intervention, RTI, I know that you've mentioned heard that a few times this morning um, from uh, both Linda and uh, Mel, but I wanted to just connect that back because when I'm thinking through how to best support the teachers and educators in British Columbia and making these changes through the partnership with administrators at whatever level we're, reporting to um, RTI or multi-tier systems of support actually gives us that base that gives us that first foundation to build these other um, changes and implementation for. And we know through this, this uh, meta-analysis research has incredible impact to student learning. So our conversation today, I hope actually uh, intentionally brings the importance of that collective teacher efficacy, the, um, the uh, cognitive task and the response to intervention pieces all linked together to understand how the, the importance can have impact. So again, linking to RTI, I know um, Linda referred to it this morning as response to instruction. There's also a counterpart to that or another piece, and that's the response to instruction and intervention. I'm going to share with you a little bit later, a reference to a a book that I just had an opportunity to review that hasn't been released yet, but it really focuses on multi-tiered system of support. And what I really liked about that new manuscript that'll be coming out in the fall is it shifts us a little bit away from the overdependence on some of the legalistic elements of the RTI model but links more to that teacher collective, educator collective efficacy, where we're building systems of support that are proactive for student learning. It does move us and shift us very intentionally away from the wait and see or wait to fail. Um, There is no room in our educational system to have that approach at this time. We have too much knowledge about how we can prevent student um, struggles in learning. And we have too much knowledge about the impact on their self-esteem and long-term results as adults uh, for us to maintain that model. It is about us as leaders, school leaders, district leaders, classroom leaders, all linking arms and uh, having real transparent conversations about what do we need to make these shifts and how can we approach it in a way that is respectful and sustainable and doesn't feel like another pendulum swing or that we're going back down one of those uh, new initiative paths. To me, it's also been uh, really important to recognize that this is truly a part of truth and reconciliation. Mel shared with us some of the statistics around our indigenous students and uh, we do need to have that truth that recognition and to speak truthfully that our students with indigenous um, ancestry and heritage are currently not uh, really being empowered with the skills that allow them to have the most abundant lives. I've really spent a lot of time speaking to the elders and knowledge keepers in the and Valley to deepen my understanding and way to approach and to recognize that uh, when we come alongside our learners and we share generational knowledge, and we help them develop those skills. We're not uh, taking away from the opportunities for deep understanding or opportunities for exploration. It's just one without the other, um, doesn't allow us to use our generational generational knowledge, my apologies, um, to guide their learning. So um, for the remainder of our conversation, I'm gonna shift a bit between two lenses. Um, The lenses being as a school-based administrator and a district administrator. And sometimes in these conversations, there's a direct parallel um, between the two. And other times we have to shift a little bit in our lens to really bring these approaches and structures um, into alignment so we can bring it to life in our settings. In the work that I've done, and again, I apologize to anyone from the Couch and Valley because, um, or in any of the schools where I've been a school administrator, because this, these are three words that I use to guide every piece of leadership. Um, I believe that when we have these three plates spinning well in our educational communities, that we're incredibly effective. We're also um, functioning well as an organization, as a team. But we recognize that culture, structure, and instruction, um, those are the two, uh, the three plates that really guide our work. And when we think about each one of those, um, it allows us to be readily responsive to our learners' needs and to feel empowered as educators. Like we don't go into our roles or our days uh, not wanting to feel successful in our work. Um, Catherine I apologize for not saying this early but at any point if there's a question or comment that you want me to stop to address please feel free to interrupt um, because I'm happy to make sure that we make this uh, meaningful to our participants as we go.
0: Uh, Yeah sure so there's one right now can Darlene give us some tips on how to respond to school leaders who dismiss requests for science of reading approaches PD etc they just say oh that's just a pendulum change and put a gate up as to the discussion of change. Um, As an addition to that, I know that there are a lot of people in different districts across British Columbia that are requesting science of reading professional development, but they are facing roadblocks to getting that happening. So if you have any advice on how they can say, look, this is what we want. This is what we need. And it's your responsibility to provide it to us.
1: Absolutely. And I'll, I'll touch on a few of those. There's a couple of places later on in the conversation that will go a little bit deeper. Um, but I, and actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and foreshadow. Um, there's a, a slide later where I'm going to show uh, an accordion. And again, apologies to Couch and Valley, because you're going to be really tired of, of hearing that analogy. Um, for me and what I've observed as an educator, both classroom district school leadership. Um, When we really think about our communication in an accordion manner, um, where we're gathering information ideas from across our district, across our school communities and drawing it together, and then breathing life into those approaches and then taking it back out and sharing, that really allows district teams to uh, assimilate and to build that synergy. Uh, It's incredibly unfortunate if we're having administrators who aren't being responsive to this. Um, I think that I would continue having conversations using part of your, um, your affiliations within your professional affiliations in your districts with your unions to start building uh, momentum with, uh, I've seen some of the chats of getting into Pro D. Pro D is one place that teachers are empowered to really drive that work. And then I would start specifically and strategically looking for avenues into your district leadership team. Um, and I would encourage them, um, say, you know, why are you willing to contact someone from the Couch and Valley? It wouldn't necessarily be myself. I, I'm happy to take those questions as well from a school-based form. Former school-based principal or district leader and to talk to them, you know, directly about that side. Another approach is actually we are so fortunate that our superintendent of schools uh, believes in this work. So I would just look for all inroads and uh, find some easy research pieces that you could maybe uh, provide to your administrators. I, again, those are very challenging jobs. They're, they are rapid fire Um, So I would give them accessible points to begin the journey as well. There's not a quick, easy answer to that, you know, if I'm being really honest and transparent, but I would look for multiple inroads and to keep that pressure coming so that if you're drawing together teachers we in the couch and valley uh, prior to my arrival so i take no credit for this they um have a literacy coalition where they've just invited teachers of interest to meet monthly and they have just those deep conversations from the district level we just support that and so we continue to um sort of give empower those teachers to have those conversations and spread that we also um, get a little bit ahead of myself again establish literacy leads in all of our schools to continue this work so um, Melanie I I hope that's at least a beginning answer to that question and we'll keep circling back to it I made a note of it to myself so I'll, I'll continue that and just let me know if there are other questions that pop up Um, When I mentioned a few minutes ago about the two lenses, school or district, this is a time where the culture is the critical piece and it is very parallel, whether you're in a school or in a district role um, or in your classroom, we know that that cultural piece is impactful for us to be able to move this literacy work or numeracy or social emotional to move these rich practices together. And one is absolutely that belief that all students can learn. Um, We have to really wrestle with that internally. It's easy to say that we believe it, but then when we're actually coming into practice, and again, this would be a conversation with administrators, um, what are the structures? that allow us within our school context to directly uh, prove or support our cultural belief that all students can learn. And this again, the next one actually ties back to Hattie's research and is that creating a culture in your school, in your district, that is the belief that we collectively in partnership by linking arms can make a difference in our learners' lives. And that has to be the moral imperative that we all hold as our North Star in this work. Um, The other piece that I mentioned with the three plates and thinking about leadership that can move and impact this is looking at structures. There are structures in our schools or structures in our district that can either allow us to move this forward and help it grow and flourish or can be roadblocks. Um, one. So here I'm going to give you a few examples of things that we've done in our district. They. I mentioned every district, every school has its own context. So I'm not going to say that these are necessarily exactly right for your district or that shoulds. These are ideas that are working for us. And sometimes when we share ideas, it allows us to go, oh, that might not be quite right for us in Prince George, but maybe if we took it a little bit in this direction. So I I just offer these ideas to you in that uh, spirit that perhaps they'll give you some insights and things that might help you give consideration to the uh, structural pieces. So if you notice with under school, I'm gonna talk about the district pieces, but I'm gonna invite you to think about what are some structures that are either challenges for you in your schools or, things that are really working to promote this work for learners and being able to have a multi-tiered system of support, multi-tiered system of support that does allow us to respond in the moment to student needs. So, from a district perspective, as we've moved forward, um, and this is uh, a bit of what's happening in the Couch and Valley currently, but it's also work, like I said, I've done in multiple other districts um, prior to the Couch and Valley in both the U.S. and and Canada. I've had a really unique uh, career that could be in our conversation, but we'll save that when we can meet for personally someday. Um, Part of our work this year has been to identify, like I mentioned, literacy leads in our school. Our district is very committed to this work. It's very committed to closing achievement gaps. Our North Star is equitable outcomes for all learners. We honestly and with truth Uh, acknowledge that our current literacy scores are quite frightening for our learners, and uh, we're making efforts to uh, address those needs. And when you're thinking about administrators that are maybe struggling to recognize the importance of this work, I think your district data, your school data will either affirm that you need to make some modifications to the work that you're doing and approaches, or You know, if your district school data says that you have 95% of students uh, reading and uh, and are literate uh, as expected for grade levels, then, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe where you're at is working for your learners. I uh, don't know of many districts in our province uh, or world that are quite attaining that right now. And I apologize again, I I don't mean to offend. I just try to be uh, as honest and transparent as I can as we have the conversation. Sorry.
0: Darlene, are your literacy leads admins or teachers, and are they specifically trained in this area?
1: Perfect question. Um, Our literacy leads is um, what we really stepped back at the beginning of the year and up on the balcony. We thought, how can we move this across? all schools, all classrooms, what would be a communication structure or strategy? And a literacy lead in each school is actually a teacher in that school Um, That is just has this passion or interest that is linking arms with the school administrator so when we've done in service, um, say after school for an hour via zoom um, it we invite administrators and literacy leads to attend that together as a team. Uh, The important part is is that administrators by themselves can't move this work and teachers by themselves can't move this work either. So by linking arms, it allows both lenses to be at the table. Um, And currently those are just teachers in the school that are willing to, to sort of serve that role. Um, We also have this year established, and this was again done prior to me, but, and you're going to be meeting one of our lovely literacy coordinators um, in just a little bit, uh, Lisa Hermant, but we have two literacy, school-based literacy coordinators, and what I love about this model is those two practitioners are in those schools. There are very high need schools, very uh, alarming uh, data regarding literacy achievement, um, high, high needs with lots of vulnerable learners. So our district honored that, recognized said we're coming, it's almost providing tiered supports for schools, much like we talk about for students. Um, so the, they, they work in those schools probably 90% of the time they are linking arms with the teachers, they're problem solving with the admin and teachers in those buildings. Um, they know the students' names, they know the students' stories and they're bringing this rich um, literacy work to life in those schools by modeling, co-teaching, helping with assessment uh, strategies, etc. But I know Lisa's gonna tell you a little bit more about that story a little bit later. Um, But those coordinators then get pulled into us at the district level, I mentioned that accordion, they come into us to help inform the work we're doing at the district level. So when we we draft materials or resources for our district, they're coming with us and they're talking about things that are actually working and coming to life in our schools. Um, PLCs, professional learning communities, it's very difficult to do this work in a school level without that collaborative structure where teachers and administrators are coming to the table, being open and honest about student achievement, student learning and student needs. It allows us to have real conversations about use of resources, whether it's uh, materials or human resources to meet students' needs. And another piece that we're tackling in our district next fall is that data. Um, we talked about with um, both Linda and Mel about those opportunities to screen or check in on learners. Um, that's only meaningful if when you get the data, it's real time and accessible and something you can use. So one of the barriers that we had in our district historically was our data input. Um, and I'm pretty honest, I, I wasn't there, so I, I don't have any personal um. Tie to it. Uh, so I'm not mourning the loss. I'm saying, no, teachers, you were right. Um, our data input wasn't meaningful for our teachers, it wasn't accessible, and it didn't give information that truly informed instruction. So we at the district uh, were saying that's true, that's relevant, and we need to make a difference. So one of our structural changes is to address that and to make it more meaningful for our learners. Um, so I'm not sure if there are any questions. But at this time, I would like to open up the chat when we think about structures that are either having significant positive impact for improving reading instruction in your schools. I invite you in the chat to share that. Or if you see a structure in your school that is challenging you, if we can put that in, then maybe we have a few minutes to address some of those thoughts. And Catherine, I apologize for not telling you ahead of time that I was going to do this and and then invite you to help me moderate that piece.
0: Oh, yes, of course, that's fine. So we do have a great question. uh, And I think it's one that a lot of people will resonate with. So how can we get resources in the hands of teachers? Is there a way to access learning funds? Even in school district 79, it feels as though we are doing a lot of talk and having a ton of great conversations, which are starting to build knowledge and drive change, but we still don't have access to resources. There are so many great books that I want to read and utilize, for example, Uncovering the Logic of English. As referenced earlier, I have checked the public library, the district resource catalog, and it's not available in either space. It is hard to always feel like we have to spend our own money to access resources that will help us and our students.
1: I, I absolutely that this is an important question, and thank you, Catherine, for bringing it forward. And that's one of the structural pieces. So, in your school, a structural piece can be access to resources. And as a district, we are looking at how to better support that. Um, this year, we've started by. Um, Trying with with schools that have made some definite some direct request for like the West Virginia phonics, um, we recognize the power of those lessons and the evidence behind them. Um, but we also recognize the labor intensiveness of teachers printing those off. So we actually, at the district level, structurally made an investment, did the printing and preparation to get those out to schools. Um, we also are looking at developing uh, a bank of resources to have available. Um, one of the pieces that we're working on this summer is going to be called, and, and we're wrestling whether it's going to be called Blitz bins or task baskets. So Lisa's up after me and she's on the task basket side. I'm on the blitz bin side. Um, but we're actually building uh, bins of activities and instructional approaches that will be available in our DLC for our teachers to check out. So when they recognize students' needs, um, there's actually a resource in our, our DLC that does, uh, is available hands-on can take it into a school, an education assistant, a teacher can pull those out and have those activities um, and a fingertips for their for their learners who so are excited about that. That's one structural approach. Um, you, re, you referenced um, some books that aren't available. I would invite you to either, if you're in SD 79, to email me or one of the coordinators. Um, we are looking at building that resource bank for teachers to uh, be able to check things out. And I do encourage you also to talk to your school administrators because each of our schools is allocated some instructional funds. So those things that we do find impactful, we do need to have available for our teachers. Um, We also... I'm thinking back to the days when I was teaching um, in a classroom, I went from teaching at a university to teaching grade one, um, because I I just felt like that was the right choice to make. But I also remember sitting in my living room floor uh, crying, going, I could have been working on my dissertation, but instead I'm sitting here cutting out these pieces for the learning activity tomorrow Um, And so I I do know and acknowledge that when we put too much labor intensive on our teachers, it makes it it's one of the structural barriers to making these changes in the classroom. So um, again, connect to us if there's books or resources. We as a district are also building a framework for literacy where we will specifically list those resources that we recognize can have a positive impact on learners. We're going to, um, there's never a lack of resources available. There's never a lack of someone, uh, some company being ready to sell products and resources. But when we have all those things, that's where we get that um, new initiative um, overwhelming. So, as a district, we are drawing from that accordion, again, drawing from our schools what are the resources that are having impact that truly align to our beliefs and approaches in our district, and having those uh, available as a list for for schools. Um, there's actually a little side story there., uh, We are, um, recognize some resources. They're quite expensive if you have them shipped across the border. So they may or may not be being delivered to a house in Phoenix this summer so our teachers will have them. So I hope that answers the question a little bit in um, a bit of a rambling.
0: I think it does. Uh, and another question is uh, the person saying that it's frustrating that they're using PM benchmark books for their district data collection and they're wondering what Cowichan is using instead.
1: Um, that's going to be on the next slide, but I'll go ahead and talk about it. Um, we're actually really excited and it's taken a lot of work. Um, I've so blessed to have done this in multiple districts. So I've watched it come to life. I've also watched the barriers emerge. So again, um, we, this year had a very formal assessment review committee that was a partnership with the and Valley teachers union, um, uh, where we sat at the table and, talked about what was working, what was not working, what was frustrating. And uh, through that journey and in combination with multiple multiple um, working groups, uh, brought teachers together from across the the district, we have restructured a uh, literacy assessment uh, protocols that will go from kindergarten through grade nine. Um, some of those pe- pieces are were written by our teachers. We identified critical skills at each grade level and um, then drafted our own so that it, it reflected, again, the Cowichan Valley uh, language, vocabulary pieces. And then we looked out at resources and drew those in. So it does everything from a phonological awareness through comprehension, uh, it's it's quite uh, well designed. Uh, and I don't say that it has nothing to do with me. I was just a facilitator of the journey, but our teachers drafted that. So we have those uh, pieces, I said, for phonological awareness, decoding that includes both uh, nonsense words and real world word decoding pieces. And we're shifting to oral reading fluencies from uh, both Dibbles and Consortium on Reading Excellent and um, Easy C B M those spot places, we searched through passages in all those different venues to find ones that again aligned most closely to what we would want to see for our learners and then designed a data entry system that would go with that for our teachers.
0: Okay, so I think you partially answered this next question. Um, And you say that you're gonna talk about it a little bit more going ahead. So see if you think you wanna answer the rest of it now. Uh, you talked about input that was not being useful. We are in the same boat. Do you currently do data collection to actually guide instruction? And if you do, what data is collected?
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's that new assessment design that we have. Um, it, it is, like I said, it's kindergarten through grade nine. So every fall, we will begin our year by checking on where our learners are with their literacy skills. We're actually going to build this next year for numeracy as well. So eventually it's going to have um, our inventories will have reading, writing samples, and numeracy. We have the reading piece and the writing piece drafted that our teachers will use in the fall, give us feedback, um, and then we'll make any fine final corrections next year. but we will have a data entry system. So we have that those customized assessment and we have customized uh, data entry that will go with it. What's really um, powerful is, uh, like I said, I've done this work in other districts, and so we kind of knew some of the important pieces to to integrate in this. As our teachers are assessing our learners, whether it's phonological awareness, letter sound, letter name, um, they're actually going to be able to enter it through their laptop or iPad, and we'll have a real-time report. So then as a teacher, I can look, and the way the reports are created is uh, if I look horizontally, I'll be able to tell every student where they've mastered the skills, which areas need attention next. But vertically, I can go, wow, I have five students who need um, open-syllable support. So those five students would be a small group, or I've got 15 students that need that work. So that's going to be a whole class instructional piece. So yes, um, as we move forward this next year, we will be launching that, and it's it's part of the work we're doing su- this summer is to sort of tweak that and make sure it's not uh, glitchy or troublesome for our teachers in the fall.
0: Um, can you repeat the names of the assessments oh. that you're using? Mm-hmm. And also, they people are wondering if the resources that you've created it in Cowichan are publicly available.
1: They will be publicly available. Um, the company that has partnered with us with the data entry piece is going to be able to offer that through if, if school districts wanted to explore that, um, or the paper pencil piece would be available as well. Um, You know, these are resources that our teachers really worked hard on. Um, The place where we drew from the oral reading fluencies, we drew from Dibbles, some people call it Dibbles, Mm -hmm. I can't get used to doing that. Um, Easy CBM. And uh, the very last slide recommends this resource. I think if if districts needed to get like, what's one resource I can put in my hands that gives both the research and practical um, application, that would be the CORE, C-O-R-E, CORE Learns. They have a, a source book for teachers that again, gives you that good research around every element of students learning to read and gives you practical approaches of things I can take in my classroom and use it tomorrow. But along with that is the multiple measures book that uh, gives you assessment tools that uh, can check on students' phonological awareness, decoding, uh, comprehension, oral reading fluency, they're all in that one resource.
0: Great. Now what's the name of the online data system that you're referring to?
1: That online dating system—it's the—it's our Couch and Valley um, dashboard. So I have my contact information at the end. I will uh, put it up, and then somewhat folks can reach out to me, and I can find that contact information for you. Great. I'm now using it in the fall, so it won't be ready to launch in the fall because we're just going to be doing our first um, testing of everything across our district.
0: Of course. Now, there's just uh, wanting some clarification on terminology. People are wanting the difference between a literacy lead and a coordinator, or can uh, they can can they potentially be the same person?
1: I would actually recommend they not be the same person. Um, the literacy leads are, they're teachers in the classrooms. They're doing this role on a daily basis. They're the ones that are, are bringing it to life. So it is that true partnership with administrators and teachers. Um, A coordinator is, um, they're outside the classroom doing that work. And that's a district position for us. Um, In your schools, it could be different. So our literacy leads are teachers in the classroom. Um, This past year, there wasn't any release time for them. Like I said, we tried to be as honoring of our literacy leads as we could and and did our sessions like right after school, did it via Zoom so that it wasn't driving somewhere and and getting too late into the evening. And we tried to keep them relatively short. We're looking to strengthen that next year. We wanna make sure that every school has that. And uh, there is consideration of if we're going to be doing release time, that maybe the literacy leads is a good approach because then they can take it back to their schools. And again, it's looking for those multiple avenues. You know, you've mentioned administrators that are putting up roadblocks. Um, in every school, there's going to be different individuals that are putting up roadblocks. So we want to look for every way and every approach um, to get as much information out as we can in a
0: respectful way. Awesome. Uh, Some people are wondering how long does this protocol take and is uh, support provided to teachers to implement it?
1: Um, the protocol has different parts. Each part would take maybe two minutes uh, for a student. Um, oral reading fluences, we know, are about a 60-second time to read. We've taken that and even given thought to, you know, what's the language we use to introduce that to students. So saying things like "I'm going to listen to you read for about a minute," um, so we don't create anxiety for learners, as opposed to going to a standardized approach where it says "I'm going to time you read for 60 seconds." So 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 it's really about um, the way that we phrase that to invite our learners in to take that, that uh, be a part of that with us. But um, like I said, each protocol, there's multiple sections Um, So a teacher can do each section for two to three minutes we're actually not recommending that teachers sit down and do the whole assessment with a learner again uh, Linda mentioned earlier today about giving our students time to get acclimated to school and have time to get settled so these assessments are designed like I said two to three minutes they're fun. Um, I can do it with a, you know, um, one student and present it in a way that's actually the two of us getting to spend some one-on-one time together without it feeling like an assessment. It's designed to be sit beside. So I learn about them as learners. Um, we're encouraging our school administrators again to look at each school-based team. You know, how can your school work to um, help teachers administer this and to give teachers practical ideas? Uh, Lisa Herman, like I mentioned a few times that's presenting later, she talked about when she was in a grade two classroom. When she did this work, she intentionally designed an art activity that kept little fingers busy while she would do these two to three minute assessments, go check in on learners, do a few more two to three minutes. But again, we're looking at uh, these being implemented over eight weeks. So our hope is that um, all of our assessments are done by the end of October, but we'll always be open and gracious for those unforeseen circumstances. Um, Is there direct release time for our teachers? Unfortunately, we don't have those funds. Um, That's one of the drawbacks to being at the district office. You get to actually see where you're trying to stretch dollars to make it happen. Um, And if we do TTOC time, it'd be thousands of dollars, and then it would um, impact our our district in other ways. So we intentionally designed these with teachers to make them so they could be short and actually be um, administered without being too taxing on instructional time.
0: Of course,
1: From grades four and up, we have parts that are delivered. We use the maze, um, which is a, a, a assessment that measures comprehension. And it actually can be administered whole class and takes less than ten minutes. And then you're going to have a quick check: Are the students in your classroom able to comprehend the text? The students who demonstrate we con- were concerned after they complete that that they weren't uh, comprehending the text, then that's the group of students that you would dig deeper and do the more finite targeted assessments with.
0: Yes, of course. Now, there's comments about this being a lot of work for each district to do individually and wondering if there's a way for a the ministry to provide structure for us to use. That's what I think all of us are advocating for. Absolutely, um, But it, it takes time and it takes conversations. And there are people that feel that We don't have the time to lose for our students to make our instructional practices better. So people are going on their own initiative to create something. And it's amazing what you're doing in your district. Um, So why don't you go back to your presentation for a bit?
1: Okay. Um, And I I am looking at the time. I know that we're down to about five minutes. I unfortunately could spend uh, an hour on each, any part of this Um, ministry being a part of this would be ideal. There is A true value though, to teachers in a district sitting down and and mucking about and wrestling with this, because it becomes owned by your team. And as long as it aligns to good research, um, then it, it gives you that flexibility. And there's a lot of important value to teachers, feeling connected to. Um, And that's why even this year when we launched this assessment, we're inviting our teachers to give feedback. Um, We know there's going to be glitches. We know there's going to be challenges and we just have to work through it together. Um, just to talk a little bit in these, I can happy to expand on this um, in a different place, different time, if it's helpful to folks. Um, the instructional piece to this is, is the root of what these two days. It's really talking about what are those instructional practices that have impact. Um, And it is about making instructional resources available to our teachers. Some of the research I did with some writing um, projects in the past, uh, I examined what actually allows a change to happen that impacts learning in a a classroom. And there's just two pieces that our teachers need to really move forward. And, And one is a belief. That this change, this instructional approach is going to benefit their students. Um, and the second being them believing they can do it. So, those resources that uh, we mentioned earlier are critical, but it's not about just putting um, materials out there. Because if we don't have the training to use it well and the knowledge about why, that it just becomes another program that will end up on the shelf. And that's not what the work that we're doing is about. It's about deepening our understanding. Um, so you mentioned in the couch and Valley um, that we're doing lots of conversations. Yeah, because I think that part's really important. We have to deepen our understanding so then we can draw in the right resources But um, and acknowledge having those resources available is important as well. Um, Important piece that I would really ask schools and teachers to keep in mind is having conversations around common language. If we're all out there um, drawing from resources that we feel are right and good, but they have different language as students transition from the classroom to the education assistant to a learning assistance teacher or even home. Um, we can actually create frustrations and gap. I'll give you one quick example. Magic E, silent E, CVC E, E, mama E. Um, sounds relatively simple, but for our struggling learners, when we're all using those different prompts, it can really uh, inadvertently create more frustration than we mean to. So school teams, I really encourage you to have conversations around common language. If you're using different programs, look at ways to build bridges for learners. Um, When we talk about, I've been sharing a few principles in here in different slides that we haven't had a a lot of deep conversation around, but uh, we are part of a a principle of deeper learning with our school leaders, and these are principles that we're all keeping in mind in our work that we do. and one is adult learning and student learning are symmetrical. If we keep talking about that, we want our students to have deep, rich understanding of things. We need to honor and acknowledge that our teachers deserve exactly the same. Um, We need to build our depth of knowledge around teaching students how to read so we can flex into and out of these instructional approaches and programs and not get caught up in those pendulum swings. Um, Down to one minute, but I wanted to share just some honest, like um, Catherine and I had a, a brief conversation once about then I'm kind of in that last uh, decade, half decade into retirement. So I'm getting a little bit braver about being really transparent about what some challenges are. I think for myself and the districts I've worked with in British Columbia that has been uh, a challenge in moving forward is that mistrust between um, administration, leadership and teachers. And it's really something that I've worked hard to um, address in, in both the schools and the districts that I work with. I think it's when we continue to model that linking arms open communication, transparent problem solving, that we can start to make those shifts and changes. Um, Another challenge for us is, you know, that time for our, our teachers and administrators to have deep, rich conversations about how to impact this in professional learning. And the last one was one that we referred to today. We have an over-dependence on uh, teacher-created materials and that labor intensiveness is a barrier. And so how do we at the district and school level look to empower our teachers with resources they can use, but also the knowledge about how those resources impact? There's that uh, accordion that I warned you about uh, before I go on, I just wanted to share that is my email, I do invite uh, any of you to reach out, I, I'm more than willing to like the others in the conversation like this is uh, a passion for us it, I mentioned the magic dust the the student very early in my career that impacted my heart and, and the direction I've gone with my career actually, um, and, and looking at how to empower students with this lifetime scale the resource that i would say i'd really recommend if you had one thing to pick or to get involved in the uh, core learn um, is got great resources for literacy instruction Uh, i mentioned early on that i've been uh, previewing a book uh, for uh, tom herrick and chris weber so just finished uh, reading that this morning actually if you're looking at conversations, especially if you want to maybe impact administration, this book that's coming out in the fall is its hard to argue with. It's a little bit, a few points where I'm going, ah, that's a little bit US, but uh, we can learn to modify those pieces. But overall, this, uh, the road to success with multi-tiered systems of support with Tom and Chris, um, it's a book that as administrators, you can take and actually begin to do this work to impact learning in classrooms. So, and I will apologize in advance to, to Lisa for going a few minutes over into her time.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Darlene. And I know that you and I do plan on having some more conversations on the, the Right to Read initiative podcast so we can go into some of those topics in a little bit deeper level. So thank you so much.